into a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars and we'll find somewhere hello and you're in the cool room uh, i'm one of your hosts david griffiths and joining me tonight as ever is co-host travis bristow young travis how are you mate i'm good david how are you i'm fighting fit mate we've just done our little test right run for the technicalities for weinstefan in a couple of days time and um Part of that process has been getting Dave Thadani on the line with us tonight as well. So, Dave, welcome to you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, mate. We're um, we're looking forward to giving people a little bit of an insight tonight into um, what it's been like to set up for the big podcast uh, with Germany on Thursday night. But also, as ever, we want to talk to you about everything to do with you as well. So, every, no pressure. Everything. everything. <laughs> yep. Um, but just to give, you know, we have a lot of listeners out there who dream one day of getting a job like yours, particularly with the kind of portfolio that you get to rep for with Phoenix. And so, yeah, just a bit of an opportunity to have a yarn and, and you know, you can give some life advice to a whole lot of young people out there who, who need it. Probably a whole lot of old people who dream of... Makes me feel older now, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, we're all not that old, but I'm sure we've all thought about having this type of job in the past. Oh, I guess you kind of get to a certain. Well, I mean, I'm still young at heart, and I, and I am still young. I guess so. It's I, I've got the the capacity to keep going for it, but I don't think it's something I could do long term. I think I'd uh, run out of run out of steam, to be honest. So, um, how how long have you been doing it for? Not that long. I actually came on with Phoenix in December, pretty much just before Christmas. So it was kind of a um, I say sink or swim kind of period, really, kind of rolling mm-hmm. straight into the silly season. So what's to, this would be my ninth. Ninth month, just done. So, it seems like 2020's drag, doesn't it? Like, it feels like it's been a lot longer than nine months. I'm not going to lie. So, uh, but yeah, fairly fresh, really. So, and is is being with Phoenix the first beer rep position you've had? Yeah, it is the first beer job I've had. I've worked, I guess, in the industry of of sales just recently. Before that, I was with um wine wholesaling with a company called Vino Mofo. They're like an online wine company. So. I had a bit of experience with sales from that. That was a more of a phone-based job. So in person, no, not, not a whole lot of sales experience before this and particularly not in the beer industry, really. So it's all new. Were you a beer fan before you went in there or has it been sort of a learning experience as you've gone along on that front too? Uh, I've always enjoyed beer. I mean, I've worked in hospitality since 2005. So I've got a long, long background in the, in the hospitality trade. So whether it was drinking beer or ordering beer for multiple venues. I ended up being manager and doing the thing, the stock guy for most of the venues I went at. So I had a lot of control over beer lists, beer menu, ordering and everything. So beer and booze, I think has kind of been my shtick for a little while. Um, but it wasn't until I kind of started this job that I had to pay a bit more attention, I think, to beer trends, you know, just beer in general and what else is out there and kind of keeping up to date with everything and, and learning and, and increasing my own knowledge rather than just being a consumer. So, and what made you decide to apply for the job and how, how was that process? How do you go from wine to, to beer rep? I think the, the, the job that I'd done on that Dana Mofa kind of prepared me in the sense of just making, making your own base of customers really kind of, I guess, and relationship building because you kind of have to go out and do it yourself. No one's going to do it for you. So with that sales aspect that I'd already kind of had, it's, it's a different product, but it's essentially still making good relationships and approaching people and and 
and talking about your product and I guess sharing your passion for your product with other people. So the process was a couple of stages really, like, I mean, getting through for a phone interview and in person and then a, a couple of, I guess, not the tests, but just like questions about how I'd approach certain things and I guess what I can obviously add. So um, yeah, I had to, uh, we're actually based in WA. So the guys from WA flew over to interview me with some other reps. So I had to kind of run the gauntlet, I guess, and I guess prove myself. And then it's been go, go, go ever since. But uh, the transition was was hard because I don't have any experience with bar retail side of things, I guess, bottle shops and whatnot. Whereas, you know, put me in a bar and let me have a chat to you about things in the bar, then I'm happy to yeah. talking about GPs and margins and shelf position and stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So. <laughs> Yeah. In terms of your own beer, Jenny, what was you know what was the first sort of craft beer, interesting beer that you can remember having? And you know, it's always something we a little question sort of allows us to date people and put them on the calendar of when they entered the craft beer world. Because I was I was thinking about that recently, but because I started in Australia in about two thousand and five, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of craft beer in Australia at that point. I mean, there was all the international stuff that had kind of come in, um, but I wouldn't say there was many big Australian craft beers but I mean I remember drinking at like a friend's engagement or a wedding I'd have like Red Hill Brewery and like Mornington um but those are some and like even Bridge um Bridge Road like those are some things that I had probably earlier on that are local but I couldn't tell you a particular type like style I think it was just just kind of fell into it really and I just kind of found what I liked and, and went with it so yeah. It's funny how Mornington, there used to be a lot of Mornington around and you just don't, you know, unfortunately see anywhere near as much of it now. No, I just, I don't know. I kind of, even like Holgate and like Mountain Goat and like all those kind of things that were, I guess, when they first kind of came out. I remember drinking Hightail Ale probably yeah. 2006 or something, seven at some dingy bar in off Nicholson Street. Yep. And um, as a bar called Lambs Go Bar. I don't know if you got I that. remember Lambs Go. Um, and I think I had the Hightail there like ages ago. And then I think, I don't know, I've, I've had a lot of craft beer at that place, but then I've just got vague memories of different brands and different beers that I had along the way. So, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of thing, thinking back to when you had your first craft beer and what it was. I think mine might, might have even been Mountain Goat. And I think it was at the Mary Chief in South Melbourne. I know where that is. I've given part of a couple of times. Yeah, it was. Ooh. And I, I, I remember when they put Mountain Goat on tap there and everyone was just like, you had the the local contingent that just were not interested in it whatsoever. And then you had the younger crowd that were all about it. And it changed things. I mean, you know, they've got uh, you know, pretty much every New Zealand brewery doing the rounds plus Mountain Goat on tap there now. So well, when, when they open, but, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah well yeah it's, it's hard to think of a specific beer or time but i just have memories of different i guess times in my life when i had a new beer and i probably didn't even realize that it was craft at the time or i might have thought i was pretty cool at the time drinking this new beer but it might have been something mainstream <laughs> probably don't want to don't want to admit to it at the time, right now but you know it's as long as you're enjoying it i guess so yeah yeah or something that's mainstream now that seemed i mean mountain got to be a great example you know yeah. It, you know, quite rightly, Matt and Gabe go, oh, yes, you know, that's in pretty much every bottle shop and every Dan Murphy's and whatever else you could walk into. But there was a time when you virtually had to go to the brewery to get it, or mm. certainly the brewery and, you know, a five kilometre circle. Well, yeah, oh, it takes long for um, 
you kind of develop from craft into say you commercialize a bit and you upscale and suddenly you're mainstream but you're still you know trying to stick to some of those roots but I guess that doesn't pay the bill sometimes does it so <laughs> yeah that's that yeah very very true uh, Phoenix have got a massive portfolio. Um, how? I mean, obviously you've only been with them for you know nine months or so. What are sort of the challenges that come with having a list that is that big? And you know, how many reps do you have in total at Phoenix? It's yeah, there's about eight reps in total. So there's two in the larger states, so WA, New South Wales, and Vic, and then one in South Australia and one in Queensland. So eight to cover the, yeah, wow. the whole of Australia. So I don't know if that's a lot or not in part, as far as other rep companies go, but it doesn't seem like a lot considering how much territory and, and venues we have to cover really. Um, but with such a large portfolio, it's it's very hard to, to juggle, I think. You know, obviously you've got your focus on your core brands, but with all these other brands that are also like some like quite prestigious, like big name breweries, you know, when you've got things like Canteon and like, you know, best name, well, best work beer in the world and other, I guess, big name beer that people are kind of chasing. It's kind of like, well, where does your focus kind of shift? And everyone's kind of asking about this and this and this. And that's like, well, there's only, some of it's only so much to go around. And there's also logistical challenges of, of importing a lot of beer from around the world. You know, it's, um, it's hard to sometimes navigate your, your focus because there's so much spectral, I guess, broad focus there. You've kind of got any bottle shop and any bar in the state could technically be part of, I guess, our customer base because we can cater to everyone from from your craft to your traditionals to you know anything weird and wacky in between um, from several different countries around the world and, and some local. So it's it's hard, I think. Yeah, it's it's hard to get all of that and unpackage it to a to a new customer and even then for people that are existing customers that that want things and just kind of keeping on top of containers and I guess new beers and yeah, it's been an adjustment. And do you think um, that that sort of balance on the importing of things has shifted a bit during 2020? As it is it harder to obviously get things into the country now um, than it was, say, a year ago? I think there's just more holdups along the way. I mean, I had one of the guys in logistics initially explain to me how a container goes from Sierra Nevada, Weinstefan, somewhere, and gets it to here, you know? And sometimes it'll look zigzag across half the world and stop at like seven to ten different ports along the way and gets held up here and then then this leg's taking from seven days now it's taking 15 days and it's getting stuck here and then someone off the paperwork and it's just like the logistical nightmare that is importing beer um is is a whole new world for me but it's it's harder with covid because everyone has higher expectations and time frames and what they want but then there's also things like package stock in, in bottle shops the demand's gone through the roof. So we've had to, like, our forecasts have been blown way out, but then you know, our keg stock has gone, you know, kind of the other way. All the other states are opening up again, but it's it's been different with 2020 because nothing is like it normally is. You know, we've had to cancel containers and bring in new containers and just, I guess, shift um, how we've done things to kind of keep as much as possible on top of it. So... And how much of that is done in consultation with you and how much of you are just sort of the recipient of decisions that are sort of made elsewhere in terms of, you know, cancelling containers or getting other containers? Do you guys all sit around and have a Monday meeting about these sort of things or is it just a 
guess what? Those things aren't going to be there anymore. But yeah, I'd say there's a little bit of that. You know, the other people in the office have got more, a lot more say on that because they're in direct contact with the breweries and all the intermediaries along the way of, of yes, the product. So we will have a, a monthly catch up because we do have to order from these breweries even though it takes 10 to 12 weeks to get here, we do have to put an order in almost every two weeks, essentially to kind of keep a constant steady. Keep it rolling over, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, that might include everything from your 12 different SKUs to your seasonals to glassware to kegs to returns to merchandising. So you've kind of got to balance all of that with your containers um, and also your, con- your customers and ordering in advance for different months, different calendar periods. Uh, so we'll have a chat with the sales team and essentially forecast and we'll go through each SKU and be like, all right, you sold 48 HEF August last year, each or whatever. This year, how much do you think you'll sell? Or, you know, you kind of have to just guesstimate as best as possible. But then best laid plans, sometimes you'll, you'll misjudge, you'll overestimate, you'll underestimate. So w- w- there's a little bit of give and take from the reps because we're on the ground, so we're the eye and the ears, I guess. But the guys in the office have got a much more, I guess, broader spectrum and handle of it. So, um, but, you know, sometimes we'll just find out Oh yeah, that container's not coming. So you've got three months wait on a particular product. Sorry, you know. So you just kind of roll with the punches and, and adapt, I suppose. You've got to deal with grumpy me when I can't get what I think I was going to be getting. Or... Oh yeah, it's just, it, it is it is frustrating when you've kind of gone to people kind of talking about these and what's coming and what's coming, and then suddenly it's like, well, that's not coming. Sorry, what do I do now? Like, if you want it, you can have it, but you'll have to wait another two and a half months. Like that doesn't really help. So. Mm. Challenging. Do do really well. I mean, considering what they've got to work with, and like ETAs, and you know, they've got containers coming into mainly Victoria and WA, but also New South Wales, and they've got to ship product all around the country with different freight. And you know, you know, the one week we had, I think, ten different containers come in from around the world into just Victoria with Belgium gear and some other gear from Wine Chefan Sierra, and like, you know, it's it's a juggling act. So I think. For us to do as well as we do with it, I think they've done pretty well. I certainly wouldn't have a chance in hell of getting that right. So. Yeah. We've got a much greater appreciation for logistics than we had, you know, three or four months ago yeah, when it was yeah, about trying it. to get beer yeah. from the cool room to the bar as opposed to now where, oh, well, I think, you know, we've pretty much sold beer into every state of Australia this week, um, you know, through the podcast. So, you know, just getting the logistics of that sorted is... Pretty, pretty amazing and bizarre. Yeah, so it's, I guess, a, a learning process for everyone involved, just working out how to get things from A to B, isn't it? Yeah. That's the polite way to put it. The, uh, the, uh, look at the, the, the naughty question, I guess, in the line of all of this is, you know, do you have a couple of favourite beers out of the whole portfolio? You know, which ones, you know, which ones are the ones you really enjoy selling and, you know, can speak from the heart when you're explaining to people? Um... It's funny because I, I remember drinking wine Stefan when I was probably first starting drinking and I went to a, like a local IGA down in the Burbs and they had wine Stefan. I didn't know what the hell it was. And one of my other mates said, give this a go. And we bought three and it came with a glass, which it still does today, most of the time. Um, and I think I had a glass in my old rental like years and years ago. I've lost it since then, but I, I'd had it so long ago that it's, it's not surprising that I, I still like it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of the rest of the portfolio, I think also Schlenkeller. Uh, like, smoked beer is very hard to drink regularly, but I've got a fond memory of when I first tried it and waking up in the morning feeling like I'd just eaten an ashtray. 
really giving people a feel for that if they've never had it before. It's just it's just different. It's just such a unique beer um, that it's not like a, it's not something I'd obsession on, but it's it's a good fun beer. It's a good story. It's certainly unique, and it's so I think Schlenkel is one of the ones that I really like to to have. Um, and then I don't know. I'd also say some of the Lindemann stuff just because it's yeah. just it's sour, it's fruity, it's yum. I don't. I, it's it's not complicated. I don't think like it's just easy to drink. Um, and I've got a soft spot, soft spot for more hop, more good. So some of the Sierra stuff that I probably had a while ago, Torpedo is my first Sierra beer. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably my benchmark for solid West Coast IPA. So I've got to say it was a real, the Sierra one was a real opportunity for me just to go back and have some of those ones that I probably haven't had for a couple of years. Um, and I was just, I was like, oh, I really like this beer. Why, why haven't I been drinking it for the last couple of years? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, you don't, if you forget, some of these beers that have been around for so long, I mean, you know, White Chiffon's close to a thousand years old, Sierra Nevada's 40 years old, you know, and they're, they're, they're always there. But when you've kind of got the newest pastry stout and DDH this and sour lactose this and oat cream this and something, it's kind of like you, you sometimes lose focus, well, not focus, just you kind of forget all these other beers exist. When you kind of revisit them, you realise just how how solid and how good they are. So you forget to go back and revisit the, uh, the favorites, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Some of the things that people got started on in, in their beer drinking journey that they've kind of shifted away from, but when they get back to it, they, they realize that, you know, they liked it for a reason. So yeah, exactly. Which probably brings us to, we were just talking about Sierra Nevada. You, uh, you helped us out with our Sierra Nevada event. Um, which is kind of, I guess, the last biggest international one we did. I think that's probably right, David. I'm, yeah. starting, to, I'm starting to lose track of, um, and the listeners out there don't know this yet, and we'll probably talk about it on Thursday night, but we're coming on to our, what did we decide, 18th virtual meet the brewer? On no, I think we've ticked over 18 for something, haven't we? So we're up to nearly, this is getting on to 20 for the year. So it's the a... choice of lockdown. It's... Um, hmm. Uh, so, um, why did you agree to do another massively large contingent of, uh, supplying us with all this beer? Yeah, it's, I guess it's, there's certainly some, you know, comp- not complications, just a lot of legwork involved in Ooh. getting it, you know, all the initial planning and emails and back to the office and back to this and sorting out with logistics and quarantining stock and checking on containers. And I guess there's, there's a bit of work involved just making sure everything gets to where it needs to be by the time it needs to be and then kind of following through until the date of the event, I guess. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this year in Nevada cast. I kind of always did. And I, I think you guys have such a different way of approaching your interviews because they don't really end up feeling like interviews. They just feel like really organic kind of chats where everyone has a lot of fun. Um, you kind of you do ask questions and there's a lot of informative content, but it's not so structured and rigid no no i really enjoyed um the process really and just being involved and having such a good brand because we obviously sell a lot of those beers but we don't often get a chance to really interact with them and talk about them in such a i guess casual and also concentrated way i suppose uh before corona we would be doing tastings at bottle shops every friday night or at venues you know pouring pots for people and, and whatnot so We'd be able to interact with customers then in that way and talk about 
guess, our product and um, some of our stories and, I guess, explain things to them. But without that, I've kind of, I guess, lost some of that. And I guess we've kind of lost some of that. So it's been a great opportunity for, for not just us, but for me as well, just to kind of get back into that side of it. Um, uh, the work side, it's just been, I guess, like that's one project. So that's. Do you find that when you're doing the tastings in the pubs, that becomes very structured as well? It's, it, it's sort of the same sort of structure from pub to pub. And do you feel like you're going to be able to sort of lean back into that sort of realm post-corona or is it going to shift the way, um, you know, you guys as a company sort of tackle those, those environments and those events in, within pubs? I think it'd have to be different. I mean, you can't really just sit down and like do a formalised, well, you can, I guess it depends on the restrictions, I guess, that we have for the next little while. But a formalised tasting is probably not going to work. Whereas, you know, you could make it just much more of a casual thing and even just, you know, for a hundred pots, just or half glasses, you know, just go and chat the bar. Every single person in the bar at five thirty that night, just go and pour a hundred pots, you know, and make that your tasting and say, you know, everyone in the bar gets a thing. Or just stand next to the tap at the bar and just have a chat to when it rocks up and just introduce yourself, say a quick hello, ask them if they want to try something, and just give them a glass as they walk back to their table, you know? It doesn't really have to be as formal and structured as the whole kind of taste our range hear our story it could just be you know get this in your mouth what do you think or just have have a good night you know have a beer on me you know so i think there's ways to do it in a hospitality like scene that's fun and kind of accomplishes i guess what you want to do but i guess in a different way so yeah, yeah. did you have a favorite beer yeah. from the von stefana sort of series which ones are the ones that you is it still the torpedo for sentimental reasons or are there some of the newer my, ones? No, my, my new favorite for i'll say from sierra nevada it's the hot bullet um which is an eight percent double ipa yeah. in, well the reason we kind of i guess like that is because my mates and i all kind of just started buying cases from because i get to buy some work from work and i bought some and i shared with the guys and they all just loved it right and then an opportunity came up for us to buy a keg and our Sierra Nevada kegs aren't small. They're 58.67 litres. So they're, they're mm. half barrels. So they're quite hefty. Um, and my mate up the road has got a, a tap set up. So I said, look, why don't we just buy a keg? Why not, right? So I bought a keg from work. A lot of other guys have got homebrew little setups. Um, we've all got little five litre mini kegs with taps on them. So we've been, we've bought a couple of kegs of hot bullet actually um, and refilled their little five litre growlers up along the way through Corona. Um, and it's kind of has been um, the, the, the go-to beer for a, a contingent of friends who have just been sharing in it. So, um, I mean, you can't really drink 8% every single day of the week, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tasty beer. So, um, and Wine Stefan, I would say, I don't know, they're all kind of, I feel like they're more, I guess, situational. You know, after a long hot day, Pilsner just goes down so easily because it's just clean and fresh and crisp. But, you know, a cold kind of winter's night, the Corbinian that we're going to try, or um, even just the Hefeweiss Dunkel, you know, just it's just toasty and warm and malty and rich. And I don't know, I think I prefer that I lean towards the darker beards from um, Weishapan. Yeah. Um, do we have a list for the listeners, David, on what we're trying on Thursday night? So we... We obviously don't want to spend a lot of time tonight talking about the beers, David, but is there a particular beer on Thursday that you really are looking forward to having in the selection? 
Yeah, so we've got four, and the advice we had, we've got the order, which I think I was going to get wrong if I'd been in charge of ordering them. So it's good to uh, make sure that we've got that right. So we're going to start with the Pilsner and then have the Fest beer and then the Heifer and then finishing with the Corbinian. And the Corbinian for me really is a just one of my favourite beers in the world. I was saying to someone the other day that it's a real desert island kind of beer for me that if you've only got to take one or hopefully five different beers away with you and you had to imagine yourself drinking them for years to come, I think that one would be in there. You know, I may not take a stout, but that would be my sort of, you know, the big flavoured beer for those sorts of, as you say, cold nights and wintry occasions. But, you know, you can still drink it in the middle of summer on a, on a warm night, you know, if it's nice and cold and the flavours yeah. in it are just sort of so desserty and, um, yeah, but just absolutely one of my favourites. Yeah, there's a really good story that I hope Matthias shares with you all on Thursday about the history of the Corbinian. Um, yeah, there's a couple of anecdotes that we learned when I did my training, I guess, with Phoenix Beers. We've kind of gone through the whole thing and I guess a lot of the other senior guys have all been to Germany um, mm-hmm. and done training with some of the, the senior guys and whatnot. So they've known a lot more about the beers and the history than, than I've had a chance to. And I kind of missed out on a little bit of that earlier this year with Corona and not seeing guys. But um, yeah, there's, there's more history to some of these things than I, I would have put thought into, you know, like even the naming of the beers have history. So that's, yeah, it's good. Uh, that is one of the things I'm looking really forward to on Thursday night is talking about the history of, of the beers. And, you know, we had Sarah Nevada on, that was 40 years of history. This is so much more. And um, I think it'll be quite an interesting chat to sort of get a bit of an insight into, you know, the recipes and how they've evolved and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's even a bit like the Pilsners, isn't it? That we've had so many Australian breweries and New Zealand breweries on in the last three months, all of whom are making Pilsners, mm. but who perhaps are doing it for the first time um, and talking about what they're trying to achieve and what a new world Pilsner is in their view. But here we're going to have the example of the, the absolute classic, the absolute sort of starting point for, you know, what a Pilsner is. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that contrast and just hearing the questions from the room about how do you know traditional breweries feel about all those sort of style changes of a of those beers yeah i think there'll be you know an interesting level of those people that are really traditional and then people that are just kind of newer to beer and then those that are home brewers that kind of want to learn about i guess some of those styles and how they've adapted and how to recreate them even or will put their own spin on it so i think um, i think matthias will have all their answers and, and more, I hope, because he's, he's certainly um, a wealth of knowledge, which um, should be exciting to hear. So. Are there any questions you're hanging out to ask him? Are there any things, you know, you've sort of had tucked away and, you know, he, or, or, you know, ones that you want, just want to send through to us so that we can ask the embarrassing question on your behalf about, you know, so you don't show... You know. I don't think I've been there around for long enough to have any kind of embarrassing questions, but, I mean, I think the whole fact that they've got a whole university that's dedicated to Weinstefan and beer... I think is pretty incredible. So I'd like to hear about that because I think he's come through the program. Um, oh, right. And they've got like this thing called like a, a, a beer or yeast museum or something that goes back hundreds of years. Like, you know, they've got cultures and all this stuff and it's like, it's incredible. I just want to, I think I want to know more about that because yeah. I don't think there's many places on, on, on earth that can kind of say that they've got that kind of, I guess, connection to, to, to beer and, and history. So. But I haven't got a question in mind, so. 
So that's, a, so that's, a, that's an excellent question and one that I will integrate into our uh, question sheet. Yeah? So that was really what that was all about. It was just a little excuse for me to pick your brain about that. Yes, yeah. Well, I don't know. I reckon that's about, probably enough of a preview and whetting people's appetites for Thursday night. If you, for some reason, haven't, um, if you're listening to this on maybe Wednesday, we probably can't deliver the beer out to you, but Weisterfahn uh, is available through so many venues that you'll hopefully be able to get and grab those four beers and have them cold and ready to join us from 6.30 on Thursday, the 1st of October. Travis is dressing up. Matthias is dressing up. I'm hopefully dressing up. Just a question of how much time I have in my life to figure out dress-ups. Yeah. Maybe you're going to dress up? I'll try. Yeah, I've got a few things around the house just from obviously just being involved in the company. I'll just kind of get some stuff. Um, <laughs> get some fun hats and some, you know. Some promo stuff. And, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great way to do it. The car's full of it. So I'm so, so I can find out some, uh, and get a bit of a gear to going. Yeah, and get from there. So. Very good. Well, we look forward to that, mate. And thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for making sure that um, things are set up. And a big, big thank you. Some of you will have received deliveries care of Dave and Travis, of course. So to you guys making all that possible for the listeners out there, um, it's awesome. It's going to be, I think, one of our most exciting nights ever. So really yep. looking forward to it. That'd be good. Yeah, can't wait. Looking forward to it as well. Thanks, Dave. All right, guys. Thank you. Well, yep. Travis will put a little bow on it there, and um, 